This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. The eco-terrorists destroying lives are at it again, with the Sunday Mirror revealing yesterday that Just Stop Oil is planning Britain's biggest ever campaign of civil disobedience beginning on October the 1st, with thousands blockading Westminster for, quote, week after week in a threat to our democratic system. This is just the start of their campaign to divide Britain. I went to Eastbourne on Friday to discover the mood of the public and Tory voters at the Conservative Party hustings as Liz Truss battles Rishi Sunak to replace Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. But what I actually discovered was far more disturbing how the extreme activist left intends to plan to use law-breaking and likely violent acts in the run-up to the next general election in their attempts to threaten ordinary folk with whom they disagree and scupper democracy. It's a dark underbelly of this country, largely ignored by the mainstream media, but it goes against British values and the morals of the apparently be-kind liberal left. To start with, groups including hard left trade unions, Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil and Green New Deal Rising surrounded the venue to harass and threaten the Tory members attempting to enter the hustings and express their democratic right to elect their next party leader. Watch. What are you here for? I'm here to protest this Tory invasion of Eastport. And then we don't want them here. We don't want them here. We don't want their Tory policies anywhere near this country. The Tories that you undoubtedly support are actually the most criminal government. Calm down, sir. Calm down, please. No, I want you to go. That's not very tolerant of you. Yes. Why would I need to be tolerant? But you think Tories who are British citizens are invading Many protesters suggested the Tories had no right to be in East, Eastbourne at all, no matter how much of a hypocrite it made them. Why does your sign say Tories go home? Because they're not welcome here, just like refugees aren't welcome, nor the Tories. So you think two wrongs make a right? Now, against that backdrop, union leaders then brought their mob to wreak more havoc just as supporters for Trust and Sunak began to arrive. You're booing at Tories entering the venue. That feels very intolerant to me. Good, I'm glad we're booing. We should be booing the Tories. Why is this? This is not a democratic situation. Well, these are democratic people. 160,000 elderly white Tories are deciding who is the prime minister. Are you encouraging civil disobedience? Yes. Violence? No. Riots? If people riot, I'd be completely understand. I don't understand why riots haven't happened yet. So there you go. The sense of violence and hatred was palpable, with many local Conservative members coming directly under attack. I think in my infiltration of the hard-left extremists, I was most shocked by this exchange with a protest leader and a mum who thought it was appropriate to bring her young daughter into such an environment. I wish that more people had come to support, support us. Yeah. Are you worried about bringing a child into this environment? 
someone's being um, aggressive or violent. No, they are. They, they're yelling at the people walking in the venue to go home and saying that they shouldn't be allowed in Eastbourne and that they're invading Eastbourne. Yeah, well, like, so there's, there's not been any aggression towards... That's not what they're saying. I've just heard them, man. No, we're actually saying, welcome refugees. No, that, that lady there is holding a sign that says, Tories go home. place for a child. Of course, as you probably know by now, the hatred expressed outside the venue soon interrupted the hustings as the Green New Deal rising members and a Just Stop Oil activist arrested multiple times before caused commotion inside while Liz Truss was speaking after evading Conservative Party checks and security. I take it as a compliment that I'm so popular with Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> there is deliberately disruptive activity, which isn't just about peaceful protests, it's about trying to disrupt you know, democracy, trying to disrupt people's everyday lives, and I think that is a problem. So while Charles dealt with the mob spectacularly and actually made me more convinced her response, uh, that she should be the next Prime Minister, really. The fact they had trespassed and gained access to the supposedly secure event is a major concern. Now, I tracked the protesters down following their ejection. You just interrupted the trust protest. Why did you interrupt this trust tonight? We interrupted this trust because we are young people who are fed up 12 years before we leadership. Are you being part of the organisation? No, of we, I'm here because I'm a young person. How did, how did you get in? Because obviously it's meant to just be Tory party members. Do you think they need to look at their security? Was it difficult to get in? She's given you an interview, if you wouldn't mind. Are you glad that you weren't arrested? Can we have a word? Right, which organisation are you a part of? Which organisation are you a part of? Liz Truss suggested that you might be part of the Extinction Rebellion in this speech after, is that correct? Do you not understand that there's a transition period? We can't overnight go I, to I net zero. I, I'm not saying that we have to stop oil and gas right now. When do you think the UK should become net zero? Much sooner than 2050, because, you know, if we're looking... And then I presume, given your very well research, you've read the research to say that would absolutely destroy the economy and actually push tens of millions well, into poverty. This is the thing, is that I asked you multiple questions and, and you didn't answer them because I know that you're very well media trained. But the, no, because the, I asked the questions. I think the issue is with organisations like Just Stop Oil, activists like yourself, you're essentially communist. So it's clear now this campaign of left-wing extremism is going to continue after Trust most likely triumphs with the police doing nothing to stop the violence and the threats. Eastbourne MP Caroline Ansell was rightly horrified and helpless too. British way. 
Rishi supporter Gillian Keegan, the Minister for Care and Mental Health, and Buckingham MP Greg Smith also revealed their concern after the hustings. It's really horrible, isn't it, that what folk had to go through just to enter the room oh, tonight? You, know, you go to party conference, right? Every single time we go to party conference. The first time I went to Manchester, I remember us going through and they were spitting at us. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're just badly behaved, poorly brought up, I think. And I the intolerant left. And they're very intolerant. And These are professional protesters that they tour the country, causing as much disruption to the democratic process, whether it's a general election, council elections, an internal party election, because they can't win on the arguments. They have to try and win on disruption. So the left like to tell you it's the Tory party that wants to divide the country. But what I saw on Friday night is that there is a highly sophisticated, media savvy and downright nasty campaign of violence from hard left activists set to attempt to tear Britain apart over the next year. We must wise up to what they're doing and our police should stop being so pathetic and weak. But to respond now, my superstar panel, Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler, and the political journalist John Sargent. Carol Malone, of course, I believe in the right to peacefully protest. But what I saw on Friday night is something quite different. And it is this campaign of hate which is actually taking over so many institutions and we're just standing by. Do you know, we're always talking about the rise of the far right in this country, but we very rarely address the, the rise of the far left. Mm. We cannot be blind to the dangers that these people pose. You know, the, the leaders of Extinction Rebellion have said they don't care if people die in their protests. They don't care if ambulances can't get through because this is more important. During lockdown, we saw, uh, we saw BLM going through the streets at a time of lockdown at a time no one was supposed to go out yet there they were breaking the law and, and you're right it's not just you know the, the soft left embodied by Starmer and Sadiq Khan they're hopeless with these people but you know what all politicians are they're, they just run scared of them and it's because they run scared of them that this sort of stuff is happening you know whenever, whenever an extinction rebellion um, protester is arrested they go to court they get a smack on the wrist they come out laughing punching the air and they're going to go and do it again and it's the same with stop the oil and i just think we have to get tough liz truss said uh, during that debate made me like her even more actually she said she's going to legislate against organizations like, like extinction rebellion now laws exist already but they're just not being used properly these people have to know they're going to go to jail not for a fortnight they're not going to get fined a couple of hundred quid they're going to go to jail for a very long time and we've got to keep doing mm -hmm. that because we have been blind to this for way too long. It's anti-democratic, they have no respect for the rule of law, and they're a threat to social cohesion. And we have to stop it. I mean, Sam, th these are your people, the so-called friendly left. And there they are actually saying to citizens of Eastbourne, you are not welcome here. Go home. That's what the left say. That is the rhetoric that now comes from the left in this country on a regular basis. I think it's a wild thing, first of all, to say they're extreme left. I saw you talk on there on the VT, like two old ladies, a couple of old men, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't you know, they, it's not America. There's no extreme left, but they've got guns, etc. I do not agree with, with um, Extinction Rebellion at all or gluing oneself to a motorway at all. I think it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, like, what Liz should have done is when they came, because, like, 
Climate change, for example, is not a left or a right problem. It's an everybody problem. So what Liz Truss should have done is basically say, like, what what is it that what is it that you want to say? Address it rather than be like, oh, we'll, well, stop, take we'll the stop all of this. We'll, we'll stop you, all of this. So you, you won't be able to do this when I'm Prime Minister. Would you accept that these organisations have been infiltrated by extreme activists? No, not at all. Like, well, I, we they haven't have. seen any extreme activism other than, like I said, which... Well, we're not talking about like, just there. We're yeah, talking about generally. Yeah, this, this, this was like, it was Eastbourne. These were people that weren't attacking anybody. There was like. Well, like, you're not watching the protest. You haven't been watching the protest over the, the past protest. year if you think that they were all peaceful but no, protests. But nobody has been hurt at all. Like, they, they are literally trying to. So somebody got to die. They are, they are trying, no, but I'll tell you what no, has no, no, happened. Been sir. Hurt what the, has what they're happened trying to do is, is speak, speak they have, about their they problems. Have, no, they have brought. The, angry they have brought the con they've brought the country to a standstill. They've cost the economy billions of yes, which pounds I disagree with at completely. a time that we can't afford it. Yeah. And they're stopping decent, ordinary people getting to work. Yeah, of course, that's wrong. That, that's a rarefied so situation. Th there was nothing peaceful in the rhetoric and the plans of these extremists on Friday night. And I think the point that I'm making is one of hypocrisy too, because you just know if these were right-wing protesters, they would be shut down. We saw that happen over the COVID pandemic with anti-lockdown and anti-vaccination protests. Yeah, I don't think it's sort of a simple matter of left-right. I agree with Sam on this. It is an issue for everybody, and the issue should be you mustn't use violence. And if you say you're a peaceful protester, be peaceful. It's also idiotic in terms of political... Announce. I mean, you say yeah. these people are media savvy, but the idea that you will affect the Conservative leadership debate by disrupting one of the meetings <laughs> must be the most extraordinary. It doesn't make any difference at all, is it? If that's the argument, mm. you think, oh, poor dears. Poor, yeah, but you know what it does on, make a difference? Why on earth don't they learn a little bit about politics but where it does before make they difference, waste their John, time on these demonstrations? But where it does make a difference, John, is for ordinary folk to actually even enter that venue in Eastbourne on Friday night. You literally had to go through people who were threatening violence, screaming at you, telling you you weren't welcome. Now, I actually saw mm. a lot of local activists turn up, survey the scene from afar and not even enter the building. So that's mm. how it's scuffling democracy. When you said democracy. threatening no, violence, no, no, what, what do you mean? Uh, what, did they, what did they shout out? That they were going to hit people? They were going to Yeah, there were somebody. lots. It's intimidating, There were lots Sam. of intimidating threats. Of course it's intimidating. Threats. Shouting it's... Own, they, they should be careful about the security. I mean... Exactly. The they shouldn't that, have been allowed in. That, that is the sort of straightforward issue. Yes. And they should be... All these things should be policed properly. Mm. Where the police are in more difficulty is on motorways and things, where they clearly don't seem to be acting strongly enough yeah. about Paid. people who glue themselves to yeah. pavements and all that kind of thing. And the public won't put up with that. But at the end the of the difficulty day, they... is, it's all to do with numbers, isn't it? If mm. they've these crazy sort of arguments, we'll get a million people demonstrating, oh, yes, will they? Mm. I doubt it. But, but, they have a final word but there's, a, there's, a, there's a feeling, isn't there a feeling that, that if the, the police, for instance, now, we get the impression that they actually have sympathy with the XR yes. protesters. They're offering cups of tea and biscuits. That's not actually dealing with them. Yeah, that's they have, a, that's they have actually... a point, though. They have a point. They have a really important point. Of course they do. Like, they, we they, don't they, know they that. Not, but they're not delivering it in the but correct they're way. No. They're, they're losing the argument. All, all it does, all it does pushes people away. I agree with you. It pushes yeah. people away in the well, opposite direction. What I saw with my own eyes on Friday night was extremely disturbing, and I think what's to come over the next mm. few months mm. is the hard lift in this country. Because what you've got to realise, you've got the militant trade unions, that bloke, there 
protests, jesting riots. Mm -hmm. You've now got the extremist environmental zealots yeah. combined with all of the other usual professional protesters who make a living. I mean, they should get a haircut and get a real job as far as I'm concerned, but they make <laughs> a living out of protests. And you are going to see these three groups collide mm. and cause carnage in this country. And I'm not prepared to just sit back anymore and let it happen. Lawrence Fox and Laura Dosworth still to come this hour, but first it's time for The Clash. And you can always count on Nadine Dorries to fight Boris Johnson's corner. The culture secretary is among a host of Bojo allies who have spoken out against the Privileges Committee probe into Partygate in the past few days, branding it a witch hunt by the left designed to eject the outgoing PM from Westminster for good by triggering a by-election, calling for Tory MPs on the inquiry team to quit over a moving of the goalposts that would allow Boris to be found guilty of misleading Parliament, regardless actually of whether he intended to or not. Dorries said, we are the lawmakers. The MPs on this committee would be taking that duty to a new level outside of the principles of fairness and into a dark place of unnatural justice. Each Conservative member should do the right thing, have no part in this Machiavellian process, call it out for what it is, and resign from the committee now. I totally agree with her, of course. I've been speaking out against this rotten stitch-up and the egregious appointment of Labour, uh, Labour Boris Hader in chief, actually, Harriet Harman, as chair for weeks. Just last Monday in my digest, I urged Tory MPs to rise up against this increasingly anti-democratic madness, and it's a relief to hear some of them are listening. So should Tory MPs quit the party gate probe that critics say is rigged against the outgoing PM? Let me know what you think. Uh, my email address is Dan at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at gbnews. We've got our poll running there, too. The results shortly, but to help you make your mind up. I'm joined by former council leader for Windsor and Maidenhead, Simon Dudley, former advisor to Boris Johnson, Colvier Ranger, superstar author and broadcaster, Christine Hamilton, conservative commentator, Albia Mancona, and the chief officer for the Cheshire Association of Local Councils, Jackie Weaver. So, Simon Dudley, let me start with you. You were with Nadine Dorries on this, I believe. Yeah, good, good evening, Dan. Good evening, everyone. You know, absolutely, for two fundamental reasons. The first one is that when the motion was passed in the House of Commons back in April uh, to do this investigation, um, it was envisaged by the members of Parliament that uh, it would include the intent to deceive. But three months later, uh, the clerk to the, what's called the clerk to the journal uh, confirmed the process for this and actually said that it wouldn't cover the intent, just uh, the deception or misleading of the House of Commons. Uh, so fundamental change in the goalpost there, and one which is clearly um, will act very much against the interests of Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. So for that and other reasons, you know, I agree with Nadine Doris uh, and that people should not be involved in what's effectively a kangaroo court. Jackie Weaver, this isn't just a kangaroo court, this is becoming a witch hunt. I mean, I guess for me, the important thing is that people are held accountable for what they do. I mean, one of the things that concerns me is that people have really lost confidence in our politicians and in our systems. So anything that allows a kind of politician to step away from something that is potentially uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable with them. I think we should be holding members to account, no matter how challenging that is. Colvier Ranger? I think, look, I, I agree with you, Dan. I think this shouldn't be happening. In the dying embers of this PM's time in office, and in fact, we've got under four weeks left, um, what political value does this drive? And the four members of the committee that are Conservatives should really be looking at this and looking at the changes in what the principles are around the 
investigation and basically calling it out. But also think about what the public want here. The public are hearing about uh, cost of living crisis, fuel duty, the fuel charges, energy issues, uh, the war in Ukraine, and least we forget mortgage payments and interest rates. These are the things they want our parliamentarians to be focused on, giving their commitment to dealing with these problems and finding solutions. I don't think once a new prime minister is in, any of the public are really going to be taking too well to people who are wasting their time on this kind of inquiry. LBM and Cody, you were a Conservative, but you don't think this is a waste of time. Why? We have due process in this country, and when public opinion changes, that due process still continues. And I find it difficult to claim that this that this privileged privileges committee committee rather is rigged when four in seven of the MPs on the committee are Conservatives, and indeed the whole House of Commons, which has a Conservative majority of almost 80, will confirm any recommendation that the committee makes. So this process is not rigged against the Prime Minister, and we have due process in this country, and due process can't just change because the Culture Secretary wants it to change. But Christine Hamilton, the definition has been changed by this committee, the committee are themselves moving the goalpost to try and stitch up Boris Johnson. I'm sorry, I'm convinced I know what this is about, Christine. They don't want him in Parliament. They, they want him out as an MP so that he can never come back as Prime Minister. Well, um, Alba used the word rigged just now. I don't think this is rigged at all. Um, but I do think, as somebody said earlier, we should be concentrating, the MPs should be, should be concentrating on the things that really matter to people. This is a hangover now. Boris is about to be gone. The person I think we should remember is Chris Bryant, the MP who recused himself from the committee. And he said, I quote, the committee must be seen to proceed fairly without any imputation of unfairness and the whole House should have confidence in the Committee of Privileges proceedings. Well, as so many of the members, whether they're Tory or otherwise, are on record as having fairly viciously attacked Boris, it would never be allowed in a court of law. Um, and the difference between whether he knowingly misled Parliament or whether he just misled Parliament, frankly, it's the difference between murder and manslaughter and it is enormous. If he knowingly misled Parliament, that is a very serious if he didn't know he was misleading and this is apparently what they're going to try and get at but i mean frankly you know is it really it's a bit of a westminster bubble story i think and frankly to have um uh harriet harperson as we have to call her she's just like somebody knitting underneath the guillotine. She is salivating at the prospect of grilling Boris. They can take evidence from people who don't have to reveal who they are. They do to the committee, but we will never who they are, who know who they are. It's a perfect opportunity for people who've got grudges. I just think we've got more important things, and I think our parliamentarians should be concentrating on those and not on this. I do think it's a witch hunt now. I really do. I mean, and Jackie, not we, a Boris, you know, a Well, no, I do, indeed, you wanted Boris to go. I mean, Jackie, we've. I did. Why, why can't these folk just be honest about it? They just want Boris out, don't they? That's what this is about. And that's why Tories shouldn't allow it to happen. That I don't know. But what I do know is that too often we hear that argument, which is we've got bigger and better things to do than investigate the behaviour of our MPs. And that's just not right. I mean, anything that's wow. undermining confidence in Parliament. It's not the first time that argument's been made. We often hear that actually we've got more important things to do. We need to leave the PM alone because he's, he's got so much more to do than worry about addressing Parliament. That we hear that so often that it undermines confidence in Parliament. 
And that is something that I think is really worth investigating and fighting for. OK, well, that might be a fair point, Simon Dudley, but isn't the risk that this Privileges Committee uh, would actually be undermining democracy? Well, I think exactly. Look, this is a quasi-judicial process. If you're selecting a jury, then uh, the Defence Council will always get an opportunity to reject a juror based upon their prior express views to make sure that they're not biased before they go into something. You know, that's a basic tenant of uh, fairness in this type of process. So this is not something that you can do with seven parliamentarians, all of which will be on the record in some way or another um, expressing a view on Boris Johnson. And one of them, let's be clear, has already resigned. Uh, Laura Farris MP, uh, Newbury, she's already resigned from this, but yet the UK parliamentary uh, website for the Privileges Committee doesn't even confirm that she has resigned. So it's unravelling already. People don't want to be involved in this. Very good point. It is unravelling. We are going to keep across this. Thank you all, my political masterminds tonight, former council leader for Windsor at Maidenhead, Simon Dudley, former advisor to Boris Johnson, Colvier Ranger, the superstar author and broadcaster, Christine Hamilton, conservative commentator, Albia Mancona, and the chief officer for the Cheshire Associations of Local Councils, Jackie Weaver. So who do you agree with? Uh, on this important question, should Tory MPs quit the Partygate probe that critics say is rigged against the outgoing PM? Sharon on Twitter says, yes, a witch hunt from the day he took office. He never stood a chance. Boris will never be micromanaged. From Laura, they forced us to follow the rules while they had parties and gatherings. People lost lives, businesses, families, damaged mental health, damaged children, missed education and lost moments. Someone needs to pay for that. And Boris was the man in charge. He shouldn't be forgiven. And from Kat on Twitter, the only ones that still go on about it are the Labour Party. Boris has stepped down. We're bored of it. And your verdict is now in. 74% of you agree that Tory MPs should quit the party gate probe that critics say is rigged against the outgoing Prime Minister. Well, 26% of you say they should not. Lawrence Fox on the way, but first, Laura Dodsworth is tonight's outsider. Now, as we enter another week of soaring temperatures following a record-breaking dry July, 3.5 million Brits have been slapped with hosepipe bans. The harsh restrictions have been introduced across Kent, Sussex, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, and more will follow if Environment Secretary George Eustace has his way. Writing in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday, he declared, in accordance with their drought plans, water companies across the country have rightly taken action to mitigate the effects of this prolonged dry weather using the range of tools available to them. I strongly urge others to do the same. And in a chilling escalation of the nanny state ban on hose pipes, one company, Southeast Water, is actually encouraging people to snitch on their neighbours if they see them flouting the rules so it can take appropriate action. Well, a state affair author Laura Dodsworth is wise to establishment nudge tactics like this used to scare us into changing our behaviours. She's written a compelling article on neighbourhood nudging and I'm delighted to say Laura Dodsworth joins me now. Laura, what do you make of all of this? Is this the start of these eco-lockdowns we've been hearing about? Oh, my goodness. You're at least a few paces ahead of me. Um, I think before we get to eco-lockdowns, let's talk about this kind of mechanism that's being used now, which is that we should be snitching on our neighbours. Oh, it's awful. Now, South East Water um, have actually suggested an array of tactics. That's not the only one. And they say that a ban is the very last resort. But the... Um, sorry, they say that fines are the last resort. But the fine is actually £1,000. 
What I take issue is why does um, why does snitching have to be one of the first levers that authorities will use? There's two really unpleasant tactics to this. First of all, the idea that we're you know we're going to be turned into a nation of snitches. If your neighbour is um, sprinkling the lawn or guilty of a paddling pool misdemeanour, you could just mind your own business and not look over the fence. But you could also just have a polite, direct word with them. Why do you need to report to a water board? You can see how this kind of thing could descend into petty feuds between neighbours. But the second thing is, and this is, this is the important point, it gets us pointing the finger at each other, mm. when really we should be pointing the finger at the authorities who have ignored water, water infrastructure for decades. Now, believe it or not, we haven't actually built a new reservoir in this country for three decades. Mm. And yet the population has grown in that time yeah. by 10 million. And, and we don't actually have less rainfall either, by the way. Well, I mean, people are pinning a lot of this on climate change, but there's just very sensible planning that should be happening in regards to infrastructure. Obviously, reservoirs have to keep up with population growth. We're in Ireland, what about desalination? More importantly, and it's, you know, it's in the news today, are water board leaks. So we lose a staggering three billion litres every day in water mains leaks. And just today, when this news about a hosepipe ban of fines is in the news, Islington in London and Dartford in Kent are underwater. Poor, furious residents are literally oh God, paddling around because, I know. because of floods. I know. And Laura, to me, what the concern is, is that the government, the people that you've investigated, all of the behavioural insights team realised over the course of the COVID pandemic that actually, as a society, we are so easily influenced. It's actually quite easy uh, to get us to dobbin our neighbours and to change our behaviour. So we have to fight up again against this type of thing, don't we? I think so. I have a bit more faith in people. I have a lot less faith in the nudges who think they know us. Look, this is in keeping with other plans. Last week it was in the news that the nudge unit, that's the Pavel Insights team, was recommending that households across the country be sent letters with a kind of an energy leaderboard. So you'll see how much energy your neighbours are consuming. Now really, if the huge energy prices aren't enough of a nudge to get us to cut back on energy usage, I don't know what Would is. They be would they be allowed to do that? Yeah, it would be anonymised, but you'd have a good idea about what people in the street are doing. Now, first of all, neighbours all have different needs, but it also represents a very unedifying race to the bottom. And Why it's no one's damn business how much less? energy I'm consuming. Well, I quite agree. And I think probably the best thing to do with a letter like that if it arrives in the midwinter is burn it for warmth. <laughs> um, but this goes back even further. Let's remember the bad old COVID days. If you remember, police set up snitch lines for people yeah, who break yeah. lockdown rules. But this represents what they think of us. The head of the nudge unit, David Halpin, said in a select committee in the Commons that the public could be relied upon to do the heavy lifting, that's what he called it, of mask enforcement. And in fact, he said the British are particularly good at it. And I think that's just such a disappointing and unedifying view of the British people. I don't think we are good at snitching and policing each other. I refuse to take that view of us. I actually think we're very liberal, we're very independent-minded. And what we should be doing at times like this, because let's face it, in a drought, you know, in a heatwave, we do have to all pull together. What we should be doing is supporting each other, not snitching on each other. And crucially, instead of pointing the finger at each other when we see misdemeanors happening, remember to point the finger back at the authorities who've allowed the infrastructure to become this. And let's Correct. ask those questions of them rather than feel like we need to take the heat. Very Absolutely. good analysis as ever from Laura Dodsworth, author of A State Affair. Thank you so much, Laura.
Welcome back. Tomorrow's newspaper front pages on the way. But first, you may remember this disturbing real-life case of the Thought Police when Army veteran Darren Brady was arrested at his Hampshire home after sharing a tweet that officers claimed had upset some faceless individuals on the internet. Watch. No. Nope. <coughs> which Hampshire police would realise how ridiculous this is. It is ridiculous. What did what did what did it need to come to? Tell us why you're it to this level. Because I don't understand. I posted something that he posted. You come to arrest me. You don't arrest him. Why has it come to this? Why am I in cuffs? Because of something he shared, then I shared. Because someone has been caused obviously anxiety based upon your social media post. For context, the tweet in question was an image of the LGBT flag rearranged into a swastika. And Mr Brady has since been released and told there will be no further action. But before an investigation was even carried out, officers had informed him that he could avoid prosecution if he admitted wrongdoing and agreed to go on one of their so-called hate crime awareness courses. Now, understandably, there's been widespread outrage that our police should take it upon themselves to challenge an individual's political beliefs. And in a resounding victory for freedom, the Hampshire Constabulary have announced they are now scrapping the hate crime awareness courses. Well, the arrest uh, and of that uh, and the video that sparked it all was filmed by Reclaim Party leader Lawrence Fox, the original poster of the tweet that saw Mr Brady targeted. Lawrence is also a central member of the Bad Law Project, which pledges to challenge and depoliticise what he views as the dangerously woke police force. And I'm delighted to say that he joins me now. So, Lawrence, do you think the cancellation of these uh, hate crime awareness courses by the Hampshire police is a direct response to the publication of your video? Um, I think it's a direct result. Hi, Dan, by the way. Um, I think it's a direct result of people uh, not liking this uh, thought policing. We had a relationship with our police for many, many decades, uh, right back to the peelers, which was the police were the people. And uh, we've started to realize that what's happened is that the police have become a politicized police force uh, similar to the Cheka, the gestapo and the stasi and we decided to get in their face and tell them that that's unlawful how they were behaving and as you can see this very very embarrassing video for these coppers i i, I sort of feel sorry for them in a way um but you know we we, we no longer in this country have policing by uh policing all communities without fear or favor uh, by consent, we now have a politicised police force and that politicised police force is got to go down because it's very bad news. And sending us, uh, Lawrence, on re-education courses. I mean, it's so sinister. It is truly, truly sinister. And you'd laugh, wouldn't you, if it wasn't so unbelievably awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the great thing is, look, listen, it didn't take too many people to stand up and say to the coppers, uh, we don't like this. This is not what's going to happen. So Hampshire police have sacked it off. The PCC has, has uh, thrown her own police force under the bus. Worryingly, the chief superintendent has been sideways promoted up to the College of Policing, which also needs to be banned and got rid of, by the way. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as British people, we're not getting our burglaries investigated. We're not getting car theft investigated. We're not getting some forms of assault 
not investigated. But they've got seven spare coppers to come and turn up at a perfectly innocent man's house and give him grief. And that, for me, is a political police force. And that, for me, is the beginning of the Stasi. And I think in 1930s Germany, if people had turned up at the Gestapo and laughed in their faces and got in their faces, I think that, you know, history may have turned out differently. So it's about pricking that bubble early on. I mean, I guess, Lawrence, I've got lots of concerns because if you hadn't been there to, to film the arrest, uh, would this have just happened to Darren Brady? Do, do you see what I mean? Yes, it's great that you were there and you've got a big profile and you could film it, but how much is this going on uh, yes, without yes, people calling it out? There's there's over 150,000 of these visits have been made and these non-crime hate incidents have been recorded. And, um, you know, it, it's absolutely morally abhorrent that we live in this country and, <clears throat> and this is taking place. But this is not just part of the police. This is part of our education system. It's part of the National Health Service. So what the Bad Law Project is going to do, and I encourage your viewers to go to thebadlawproject.com, is that we are going to reclaim our national institutions as a result of this because if we don't have the police we don't we don't feel safe if we don't know that our children are being educated in loco parentis properly rather than indoctrinated with all gender ideology and all this mad stuff we cannot trust the people that we entrust to look after our lives when we're at work doing what you and i are doing tonight you know which is working no, indeed. And, and and I think it is incredibly important. And obviously we had you on previously talking about the Bad Law Project before this case erupted. Uh, Lawrence, I think we spoke, though, the last time we spoke, you hadn't actually posted the tweet in question that became so controversial. Uh, what's your reaction to the fact that you have effectively uh, been shamed uh, for... I guess, posting something that many think is deeply, deeply offensive, comparing the pride flag to that of the swastika. Well, I'm not comparing the pride flag to the swastika. What I'm doing is I'm saying that the same sort of hectoring authoritarianism is applied to the pride flag as it is to the swastika and the Nazi flag. Now, but what people forget is that for many, many decades, gay, lesbian and transsexual people fought very hard for their civil rights. And th this Trojan horse, it's a political ideology, which is called wokeism. Look at these dancing coppers. It's an embarrassment to our country. Um, uh, is we have a Trojan horse. What they do is they, they're, they're a parasite. They use minority groups and the vulnerability of minority groups to extend a further political ideology which has absolutely nothing to do with sexual orientation or any of these things. And it's tragic and we must fight it. No, indeed. And Lawrence, we will, of course, keep on this. But I guess a little victory today, a little victory for you today. Well, listen, man, it's a massive victory. Within a week, we have managed to get police procedure changed. We've got indoctrination camps closed. I've, I've spent the week on the phone to American lawyers and um, politicians going, how can we do this in America? What you've achieved in a week. And, and I know I'm not allowed to say his name on air, but we are grateful to one man here in, uh, in, his, yeah. in his great and strident, de strident desire to make sure that this stuff is, is 
Yes, and, and just to explain, we will obviously be speaking to him soon, your, your co-partner uh, in crime and all of this, but at the moment, uh, the police are still... Yeah, exactly, non-hate crime, partner in non-hate crime. But at the moment, the police are still investigating. So, so Lawrence, we're going to keep across this, OK? And we'll talk uh, as soon as we can. Thank you so much, Lawrence Fox. Tomorrow's news tonight now on our media buzz. The first front pages are in, and the eye leads with reports of tensions in Liz Truss's leadership camp. Government officials have opened talks with Team Truss on how to implement policies should they win. However, tellingly, there reportedly haven't been such talks with Team Sunak. I wonder why. The Guardian says Liz Truss's tax plan could cost £50 billion a year without helping the worst off, while it pays tribute to the late Olivia Newton-John, who, as we know, has died aged 73. My superstar panel back with me now, Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler, and political journalist Sam, uh, John Sargent. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Sargent? Not two Sams tonight. tonight. Now, as I revealed earlier in the show, the militant left are on a mission to divide the nation with venomous rhetoric and violent protests that have no place in a peaceful society. Here's a reminder of some of the behaviour I uncovered at the Tory party leadership hustings in Eastbourne on Friday night. What are you here for? I'm here to protest this Tory invasion of Eastbourne. We don't want them here. We don't want them here. We don't want their Tory policies anywhere near this country. Tories that you undoubtedly support are actually the most criminal government. Calm please. down, sir. Calm down, please. No, I want you. To... That's not very tolerant of you. Yes. Why would I need to be tolerant? But you think Tories who are British citizens are invading Eastbourne? Why does your sign say Tories go home? Because they're not welcome here. Just like refugees aren't welcome. So you think two wrongs make a right? You're booing at Tories entering the venue. That feels very intolerant to me. Good, I'm glad we're booing. We should be booing the Tories. Why is this? This is not a democratic situation. Well, these are democratic people. 160,000 elderly white Tories are deciding who is the prime minister. Are you encouraging civil disobedience? Yes. Violence? No. Riots? If people riot, I'd be I'd completely understand. I don't understand why riots haven't happened yet. It was a really grim and uncivilised environment, that's for sure. But thankfully, the vocal minority only formed a small part of my time in the beautiful East Sussex town. What I actually discovered was loads of ordinary folk who were more annoyed at Boris Johnson being unceremoniously ousted from his job by disloyal and backstabbing MPs than excited by the alternatives in Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. Look. 
I, personally, I think, one, we should not have got rid of Boris. He got us out of Brexit and he made a few mistakes. We've all yeah. made mistakes. I'm with us. you. The man shouldn't have been gone. He was stabbed in the back by Rishi. Yeah. Liz Truss didn't stab him in the back. You know, she's a bit of a Margaret Thatcher and I think with a bit of encouragement, she could be the next Margaret Thatcher yeah. who's going to put England back on the map, make England great again. What did you guys think of Boris in the I end? loved Boris. I thought Boris was lovely. He was a people person. He had messy hair. Yeah. He was just down, down for it, wasn't he? he was I think brilliant. so. I think it was bad what happened to him. Was it was. I think yeah. he was a scapegoat at the end of the day, yeah. weren't it? I, mean, I think the, really. old, the only problem I mean, it, Covid. It, yeah, it, it was difficult, wasn't it? Yeah, and it would have been difficult for anyone. Absolutely. And he, I think he handled it well. I don't think they should have got rid of the existing leader. It's for the general public to decide who's Prime Minister, not a bunch of Tory MPs. So, but you felt, on the whole, that Boris was, like, a pretty decent Prime Minister? Yeah, I didn't think he did too bad, yeah. Yeah, and your mum loves GB News. She does, yeah, she loves it. She's a big fan. And do you know who she who who she's supporting? She likes Boris. Yeah. So she, I think she would have liked him to stay. I'd like trust because she didn't stab Boris in the back, did she? Oh my god, I agree. No, I think Liz. It should be Liz. Okay, do you guys agree? Yeah, I, I think so. Yes. We saw it coming because I yeah. think he wanted that role anyway, so yeah. it was going to. Agree, she did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought as well. We saw but it coming. He's been yeah. a little bit ambitious, hasn't yes. he? I think so. Yeah. I didn't like how, how Rishi backstabbed yeah. Boris. I didn't like that. Sneaky. Yeah. Snakey. Snakey Sunak. Oh, I've just come up with something. So who do you support out of Truss or Sunak? Or is the answer neither? Neither. What about Boris? Did any of you like Boris? You did. Love Boris. Love Boris. I actually think that Liz is the stronger candidate now. Boris. I love Boris. So just fascinating, isn't it? Looking at the reaction of that group when I mentioned Sunak and Trust, they were absolutely horrified. They said, oh, no, I don't trust any of them. Don't trust any of them. Mentioned Boris. Oh, love him. So the electric still pines for Boris, but Sunak and Trust are firing off a host of policy promises in a bid to win the keys to number 10. Trust ally Brandon Lewis said today that she was not ruling out using handouts to help Brits with the cost of lockdown crisis. Meanwhile, Sunak said whispers of a Trust giveaway, quote, wouldn't touch the sides of dealing with the mounting, uh, the mounting cost of living costs. Now, uh, Carol Malone, Sam Dowler and John Sargent, my superstar panel, return. Carol, it's really interesting, isn't it, that even though certainly within the Tory party, and I definitely think she is the, the best option, Liz Truss, <clears throat> there is not an enthusiasm out no. there overall for no. this contest at I all. I mean, I think they're two of the dullest candidates we could possibly have had. <laughs> I mean, really, I do. You know, and I think, I, you know, I, I think Sunak's not, he's got no chance. But, but I, you know, of, of the two of them, I think he's the cleverest. I think he's the most likeable. Um, I think he's the most capable. And yet, she is the one who's been favoured in, in, among the Tory membership. And the one thing I do agree with one of those protesters you were talking to, you know, he said, that, you know, the future leader should not be chosen by 160,000 mm. um, Tory party members. And I completely agree with that. You know, those two would not be chosen if the, if the public had a choice. Very interesting. Almost everyone you spoke to there wanted Boris. Mm. So you know, who was whipping up all this hatred of him before? Guess who? It was the Tory Party and some of, some of the you know the elite in the mm. Tory Party who wanted to get rid of Boris. That's not what the electorate generally wanted. No. And I think they rue the day. It's frankly. A massive mistake. I mean, John, it really did fascinate me actually in react in Eastbourne. 
just seeing the reaction. Obviously, I've picked it up a, a lot over the past few weeks because mm. I have been very open about the fact that I think Boris Johnson should have stayed in his job, and I know many folk disagree, but just being out and about and people sort of tossing up between Sunak and Liz and, oh, yeah, maybe she's a bit better than him, but feeling a real affection still mm. oh, yeah, to the current of... Prime Minister, who is still in office. I mean, this is what's sure. ironic. Shouldn't he just stay? No, no, no. He, he sh certainly should stay in office because that's the only way you can run our system. You can't have acting Prime Ministers, acting Cabinets. The whole thing would... No, no, we just can't... call the whole thing off like Lord no, no, Crudders no, 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 wants. No, no, The system is really quite simple. You wait until the majority party have got a new leader and you carry on in that way. You can't... You can't jig about sending people to Buckingham Palace and then saying, no, no, we're doing that again. No, no, this was the only sensible, dignified way to proceed. But it's almost as it if the public affection for time. Boris is growing, though, John. Uh, well, no, partly because people are obviously disappointed by the candidates. They're also disappointed by the way the debate is going mm. because it's extremely complicated. Mm. It's also contradictory at times. I mean, the moment somebody says anything of any value, then it's immediately retracted either by the Allies or by the person themselves. So you're getting a very odd view of... Hold on a moment, you've got four weeks to go. What's actually going to happen then? Is there going to be an emergency budget? Is that both of them an emergency budget? Who will be in the cabinet? What is the sense of urgency? And the Bank of England saying we're all set for the most appalling period that any of us can remember of a recession, yeah. this prolonged recession. I mean, you'd have to be insane to want the job, wouldn't you, <laughs> right <laughs> now? But Sam Dowler, it was also fascinating to me just to see the depth of feeling against Rishi Sunak. People are very angry that he wielded the knife against Boris. And I think, in reality, it doesn't matter what happens now the next four weeks. The die was cast from that moment. He was never going to be Prime Minister. Well, people seem to have a very short memory. Um, obviously, we all know that Boris stabbed um, Theresa May in the back in order to get the job which he wanted his whole life, which was trained to be in his mind. Well, didn't he stab her in the front? He well, was I. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but he did that's very different, though, but isn't how it? I maybe would have had respect for Rishi Sunak so if he had resigned yeah, from the cabinet, but he didn't. Stab, Rishi didn't stab him in the back. He resigned in, in a week whereby, like, obviously... No, hang on, hang on. Stop, yeah, stop, stop stabbed in the back, yeah, is yeah, it? Right, he, he, he did. He lost his trust in him, and therefore that's why he did it. Rishi said he had resigned because morally he couldn't take what Boris was doing to the country anymore. But we know absolutely that he already has had his his election campaign planned. Yeah. He planned to do this yeah, all website, the time. website, Carol, was set up in December. There was nothing spontaneous about nothing but lie and cheat his whole way no, while nothing, he was nothing, as Prime nothing, Minister and beforehand as well. You cannot Everybody say that. Everybody knows that. We can all see it. That's why he was ousted at the beginning. You can shout of, as much as you like, <laughs> but there was no proof that Boris has lied about anything. He lied about everything. What, can what? I come in on Sam's side? Because I'm slightly John. worried that Sam's being sort of outspoken. Well, he didn't lie about everything. He lost credibility in a very, very serious way. And most of the opinion polls are still now saying, by a majority, not a big majority, a big majority that he should no. go. Mm. Um, and mm. that once you're in that position, it's extremely mm. difficult to regain trust. Exactly. And this whole of this it's leadership election... It's impossible to regain trust. The whole of this re-election is based upon the assumption that one or other of the candidates
votes, mm. we'll be able to restore trust mm. in the mm. Conservative Party. Mm. That's what it's meant but to be John, about. But, John, can I ask you a question? Do you really think that... Because Boris was a vote winner, whether you like him or not, he was. Do you think either of those two candidates will win the Tories the next election? I'm not sure about that, but I certainly... If Boris had stayed, yeah. I, I think... He's he'd a vote loser. If he'd have stayed, he was yeah. a, he's a, if oh, he'd okay. have stayed, he was a vote loser. He would have, he would have oh, lost right. the next general now, election. Carte Blanche, he would have done. Now, look, I've come to expect sly news to be out of touch, but it was nonetheless surprising that the audience that their leadership were really in last week seemed to be so pro-Rishi, given that recent polling has repeatedly seen Liz Truss come out on top. Allies of Truss have reportedly expressed scepticism about whether the crowd in the studio was truly undecided, as host Kay Burley claimed. In particular, the presence of one Tom Hardine, who used to be Chief of Staff for Arch Ramona, Anna Subri raised eyebrows, especially after he called for an apology from Truss following her recent U-turn over regional pay boards. Here's a reminder of one of the more entertaining moments when he squared off against a fellow audience member. Will you apologise? Because it was actually quite offensive. Oh, I hate this um, apologise, you know, for everything that you might have said. I just don't really don't understand it. When somebody's asking for your vote, you don't expect to be offended. Well, <laughs> simple as that. What's that supposed to mean? Now, this guy, it turns out, has form for attacking the party he is meant to be a member of. Here he is laying out his mission statement on the BBC's Question Time after expressing sure. outrage over the government's Rwanda scheme. Sure. Does, does this make you question your support for the Conservative Party? The only reason I'm a member of the party now is to get rid of Boris Johnson. As Charles Allies told the Daily Telegraph, when you have Subri's ex-chief of staff, it's clear it wasn't exactly an audience of typical Tory members. If Remainer Wets, like Harding, are back in Sunak, you know there must be something fishy about Rishi. He is one of the country's most esteemed academics and trusted by Boris Johnson with investigating claims that Britain was institutionally and systemically racist. Last year, race czar Dr Tony Sewell's report exonerating this great nation made him a household name and a target of the woke mob. Left-wing lobby groups who'd spent much of 2020 insisting minorities were automatically disadvantaged by unconscious biases were outraged by this child of the Windrush generation asserting that geography, family influence, culture and religion had, quote, a more significant impact on life chances than the existence of racism. Their claims that Sewell's report had been whitewashed and was an attempt at gaslighting saw the University of Nottingham shamefully strip the charity boss of an honorary degree, though thankfully Buckingham University, one of our few academic institutions still committed to free speech, stepped up to restore the honour last month. Sewell has since spoken out against the Soviet-esque style crackdown of views that goes against the liberal narrative. And with the unexpected success of anti-woke uh, campaigner uh, Kemi Badenoch and Suala Braverman shaking up the Tory leadership contest. Are we as a country finally starting to embrace his findings and learn to block out some of this woke madness? Well, it is a pleasure to have Dr Tony Sewell yeah, with you. us today. And Dr Sewell, I mean, looking at it this from a macro level, are you still surprised by the pushback from the left to your report, because essentially you didn't come out and say Britain is an institutionally racist hellhole, which is presumably what they wanted from you. What's happened since the report is that you've had less noise about it. And I've got to um, commend 
the government and particularly Kemi Badenoch in, in, mm. in terms of taking on the report and then bringing it into that excellent document, Inclusive Britain, which is really the government's response to the report. And what worried them, what worried them a lot was the fact that now it's been mainstreamed. It's part of government policy. What they didn't look at, which is, which is really strange, was the recommendations. Very progressive, um, very radical at times. And I think that was the, the, the sort of the tension in there. But yes, you're absolutely right. We had an outrageous kind of response to this. And I think what they didn't realise or didn't understand fully was that we weren't denying, we weren't sort of saying that we were in some kumbaya kind of uh, post-racial society. Yeah. What we did recognise was that the fact that the disparities were based not necessarily all on racism. In fact, very few were. That you had to go back, you had to go upstream, and we found that the disparities were based on all different things, including geography. The other thing is whether you like it or not, if you're white, from the last time I checked in, you happen to be part of the, the, the human race. Mm. So we included white, white people in that, in that analysis, which race reports sometimes seem to forget. Yeah. And therefore, the other thing that I think mean, came straight for some people was that some of the outcomes were really interesting. For example, white people actually live well, die are more likely to die before um, black and Asian people. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, smoking and drinking is, is is part of that culture, and also white working class. That's right. Well, yeah, yeah. Are of, of course, one of the most educationally deprived of course, groups yeah. in British society today, which is again something yeah. that the left don't seem to want to talk. They about. They also wanted to lump every black person, in, um, an Asian person, into one kind of, uh, scooting up into one, one hole. For example, the, the, the taxi driver in Bradford is a world away from the doctor, you know, in, in London, Indian doctor in London, yet you have all these in one group. So he said, yeah. no, you know, we, we, we're different in that sense, and you've got to look at all different elements in terms of that. It's interesting because I, I went back today, uh, Doctor, through some of your previous interviews dating right back, you know, to, to the early 2000s. There's one interview in 2004 with The Guardian where what you said then was strikingly similar to what you say now. And it's about uh, not leaning into victimhood. You don't want young black boys in particular to feel like they're victims and embracing the Martin Luther King Jr. view of the world that character should be more important. That's right. Colour. How depressing is it to you that, especially post the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, that in fact the critical race theory movement is that everything should be about one's colour? I mean, that is depressing because I can see from my point of view and from lots of people's that your life isn't determined by race alone. It's so many other factors that are there. One of the key things in there was this element of agency, this notion that you can control your own life and your own and your own destiny. And more and more, the, the, the key question that we took on was, is there a situation where everything is rigged against you if you're black or Asian? Is, is the system, if it isn't, then let me tell you what the problem we have. We have a, what I call the terror of freedom, because if that is not the case, then what is holding you back? You're actually frightened to be free. And if you, if, you, if you grasp that, as we've found perhaps in newer migrants coming to the country and finding that they can go through and go to the top, 
then what is stopping you? Mm. you see, I mean, th this, th this is the issue, and, and there may well be an issue. I'm not saying that there aren't things around that stopping people from progressing. We, you, 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 it'd be strange not to, to, to deny that. But this terror of freedom almost is a sort of self-imposed kind of victimhood on you. And, and, and a group think that stops you from doing that. But do you worry, because I know you've felt that passionately for a long time and I completely sure. agree, but do you worry that all of this new rhetoric, which didn't exist really uh, 10, 20 years ago, about critical race theory, do you worry that that only increases the victimhood? It incre what's going on is there's a, the there's, a mini, there's, a, there's a mini industry in this. There are people who have jobs, people who have work that depends on this narrative. And if you take that away from them, they don't want solutions at all. That's why I, I, I'm very encouraged by someone like Kemi, Penny Banadoc, yeah. you know, who comes into this situation. Incredible with, woman. Yeah, with, 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 a, with a narrative that says, you know, she, she's aware of the reality of racism, but comes in and says, you know, look, you know, you, you can do it. If, you, if the things are open up for you, then you can go for it and the, and, and the realities are there. But you looked at the evidence, right? I mean, this, this report was serious, it, it was in depth, there was a huge number of experts involved, and, and you did not find that Britain was an institutionally racist let me say, let me Let me be very clear what we did find. The evidence that we had, the evidence that was in front of us from what we could get um, and, 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 and looking at it, we, we, we from that evidence, couldn't conclusively say there was institutional racism. Mm. It does not mean that it doesn't exist. And there's a myth going around to say that we deny the existence of institutional racism. Yeah. You can say to both things. You can look at something and say the evidence that's in front of you, you can't conclusively say it is. However, I'm sure that it could be. It could be out there. We're not, we're not denying it at all. And in fact, we have recommendations that deal with some of those structural things. But from what we saw and what we looked at and the evidence we, that we, we we looked at the fact that the disparities that were there were based on lots of other things. As Racism was there, but not the, yes. the paramount thing. Class is the key. Class. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how shocking was it for you that as a result of this report, uh, the University of Nottingham, I believe... Yeah. Your old university? Yeah, they gave me my right. PhD. My, now listen, I've got this this doctor term. Everyone's throwing. Everyone's a doctor these days. But the, 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 I got a real PhD. I did the work. I did the yeah. sweat and got so it. So you yeah. got the real one, but yeah. then you were going to get an honorary yeah, yeah. as well. They sent me a letter saying that look, in, in, based on all your great work, Tony, I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you an honorary degree. We're going to give you an extra PhD, a kind of honorary one. And then um, after the report, they said you caused controversy. So therefore, we're going to snatch it back from you. So they cancelled it. They cancelled me out. Um, and, and, and you said for you going public with this, it wasn't about the fact that you want to, as you say, you're already a PhD, you then got the honour from the University of Buckingham anyway. But it was about trying oh, no, to... No, I'd already got a couple of honorary degrees from Exeter and yeah. Essex anyway, so I've got lots of yeah. them in my cupboard. At <laughs> but, I mean... So <laughs> it's it's mine. <laughs> Where's mine? <laughs> but, but, was, but, but, it, but it was making a point uh, about what happens these days in society if you maybe go against the orthodoxy on some of these controversial issues. Yes, and I, no, I, look, the, that uni the university was spooked by, I think, the unions or somebody there, and they felt... The they students, did, yeah, right, yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think, it, for example, I don't think they canvassed all the students there to understand this. No, it's a they tiny just, minority. Yeah, they just took a, with a, the loudest voice. Yeah, 
But we've got to stand up against this madness. It is, it is, it is. It's outrageous. Because you say, I mean, some people have, people who get their honorary PhDs cancelled are people like Jimmy Savile or R. Kelly or something. Now, I don't even, I a government report which is now part of the mainstream, um, you know, policy. So to, to, to cancel little me, you know, um, just seems very strange. I've never been cancelled like that before. And, it, I joined and you thought it was Soviet-esque. <laughs> Soviet-esque is strong. I mean, yeah, look, I'm not going to sit here and waste time with that uh, anymore, really. I mean, you've brought it up. And, and I just want to sort of say that, look, um, I'm not here to kind of run around trying to get honours. No, 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 no. If they want to yeah. do it. But it shows it. where the headspace of our university is. That's right. Is at. It's, not, it's not good at the moment. That isn't know. good. No. no, it's not good. Well, Dr. Tony Seal, CVE, thank you so much thank you. Uh, for all of your brilliant work. And uh, it's a delight to have you. Please come thank back you. soon. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you. you so much. That was the chair of the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, Dr. Tony Seal. Let's return to tomorrow's news tonight now on our media buzz. More front pages are in. First to the Metro, which leads with jurors hearing accusations that ex-Man United player Ryan Giggs deliberately headbutted his girlfriend. It also reports on the tragic death of a four-year-old girl in a gas explosion in a house in South London. The Daily Star also leads with the ongoing Giggs trial with the former Man U legend accused of having a, quote, ugly and sinister side to his character. He denies assaulting his lover. The Daily Telegraph, oh look, picture there of Olivia Newton-John uh, with John Travolta uh, after her death was announced earlier this evening. We'll have more on that shortly. John Travolta has actually given a tribute. Uh, but their lead story, 2022, becoming the driest year since 1976 with hosepipe bans expected to last until October. The Sun leads with the ongoing Giggs trial. He's accused of assaulting his ex, of course. More on the media buzz now with tonight's superstar panel, the Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, the journalist Sam Dowler, and the esteemed political reporter John Sargent. Now it turns out the loose women watching ballot on riding work from home brigade aren't the only drain on our ravaged economy. A new trend of, quote, quiet quitting is sweeping the nation, with employees increasingly turning their backs on the go-above-and-beyond attitude in favour of a bare-minimum approach. <laughs> Workshy workers are jumping on the bandwagon, which is rejection of the idea that work has to take over your life and that you should be stretching yourself in your role. Instead, folk are only performing the duties outlined in their job description and politely declining to take on any more responsibilities or work longer hours than necessary. And surprise, surprise, Gen Z lapping it up with TikTok awash with lazy full-time employees gloating about how little they're getting away with. I recently learned about this term called quiet quitting, where you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. The reality is it's not, and your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. One aspect of the remote working revolution is that you can do this fairly easily from home. Before I changed jobs in the last six months, I've been pretty much coasting, if I'm honest. That's what my body and my mind have been forcing me to do. It's quietly quitting the stress and the worry is nothing's changed. I still work just as hard. So half of our workforce are working a half day at home in their pants and the other half has mentally checked out. Our economy is doomed. Is this just laziness, Carol Malone? By any other name? 
this is just a bunch of lazy, greedy, good-for-nothings who just don't want to work. <laughs> you know, the thing is, the pandemic has changed the British psyche in so many ways, none of them good. But, but one of the ways is people were at home for 18 months getting 80% of their money, and they quite liked it, and I don't blame them for quite liking it. However, the pandemic's over now. They've got to get back to work, but they don't want to. And everyone's forever talking about this work-life balance, but they want that, but they want it without the work part. And I just, if I was an employer, I would be going, nuts over this. The fact that, you know, that, that amazing platform, TikTok, the one that tells people mm. to, pretend, to pretend they're disabled so they can get through airports more quickly. And allows uh, the Chinese government to spy on you. That uh, exactly. Yeah. That, that amazing platform, mm. yes, not. Um, but I just, you know, it just, this makes me so angry. What's happened to, the, you know, the British work ethic? Yeah. What's happened to ambition? How so, can you ever go anywhere or be anything if you're doing the bare minimum? Sam, Sam Dallow, this is your generation. What, how do you defend this? I'll tell you exactly how I defend it. Um, so my partner worked in the worked in the care sector. He doesn't anymore because basically during the pandemic he had to work his ass off and then got no no bonuses, no nothing. Another one of my best friends, he had now to hang on, stop no, it. Listen, he no, had to re stop. he had to reapply for his stop job shouting. to get paid less money. And then so therefore you expect people to go above and beyond. These people are doing the bare minimum because that's all they are paid for. So why should they put in more this time is, when they're getting is, paid less is, money? This to is doing tosh the same to say job. that everybody is just doing the bare minimum because that's all they're being paid paid for. That's actually not true. Everyone That's exactly the, what this is all about. But they're not doing the bare minimum because... They're doing they because are job. They're, if, their job. Well, they're doing their if job. If your friend was not denied working in the care sector, get out of it and get a job that he likes. Well, that's what, what he's done. That's what he's done. That. Now he's working for a warehouse where he gets paid more money. Wait, Listen, this, I'm talking about, like, literally massive companies, like, in the hospitality sector as well, where he had to... Again, as I said, my friend had to reapply for his mm. job and then get paid less money while all the directors get all the money, like, get oh, all the money the they world. want. Come on, you're getting... Yeah, but how are you going to get ahead? You're going to get ahead by working hard and that's yes. how you get the big bucks. I mean, John Sargent, I have to say, but isn't this anymore? trend doesn't surprise me at all because I sense it everywhere yeah, I go. No, I, I sense it when I walk into a shop. I sense it when I walk into a supermarket. I sense it with my delivery drivers. We have lost our work ethic. Yeah, no, there's been an element of that. That's certainly true. Also, it's combined in a strange period where we've mm. got such low unemployment, all these staff shortages. Mm. So people think, actually, I think I can get away with this, not doing very much. And they can, they, though. And, they, and then they can at the moment. But what does recession mean? Mm. Now, if the Bank of England's right, we're heading for recession. Mm. If you're in a recession, what happens? Unemployment goes up and people don't start quiet quitting. They start being fired if they don't get on with it. Mm. So the, the whole emphasis will change. And when people get back from their holidays, which have been more expensive than they, than they thought they were going to be, reality is going to come back that's in. Very so good you point. wait. We're, wait till, just, o wait till October. You have to remember that we've come out of a pandemic where people um, might have lost loved ones and they've lost people. All, people have oh, died all over the world. Millions have died all over the world. Millions of people were paid 80% like, of, 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 of their salary to stay at home. That's the majority of people. But a lot of people like, you know, are suffering, probably suffering some sort of PTSD about having, having like, you know, we've gone through a world Well, life goes on. I'm sorry, life goes on. What happened after World War II? We got our great fighting spirit back in the UK and that's how we became a great nation into the swinging 60s. I'm sorry, what are we going to do? Say, because of this damn pandemic for years and years and years, we're going to accept young people not you're working hard? Absolutely not. That's steering, not the British way. They're just steering their jobs. They, they're not going above and beyond because they're not getting paid to go above and beyond. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry. Animal spirits, as one of the federal chairmen used to say, will, will come forward. People have to get going.
Mm. And at some point, I suspect in the autumn, people start going, yeah. meaning they go into work, they don't stay at home, they watch carefully what's mm. going on, they're worried about gossip within the office mm. and about who's up and who's down, and we'll all well, find... we need it back. We'll find by Christmas, I tell you, the mood will be very, very right. different. I hope you're right too. Now, earlier tonight, we heard the devastating news that the legendary singer and actress Olivia Newton-John has died at the age of 73. The British-Australian star released the top 10 track Physical, starred in the cult musical fantasy Xanadu, and represented the UK at Eurovision during her 57-year career. But she was, of course, best known for her iconic role as Sandy in Greece. Olivia had been battling breast cancer for the third time in 30 years prior to her passing this morning. And her family described her as a symbol of triumphs and hope for her pioneering experience with plant medicine through the Olivia Newton-John Foundation Fund. Leading the tribute to her Greece co-star, the Danny to her Sandy, John Travolta. He wrote in an Instagram post tonight... My dearest Olivia, you made all of our lives so much better. Your impact was incredible. I love you so much. We will see you down the road and we will all be together again. Yours from the first moment I saw you and forever. American actress Marley Matlin, who featured in this year's Academy Award winner for Best Picture, Coda, said of Olivia, who she starred alongside in the 1996 AIDS drama It's My Party. I remember being so starstruck when I met her at my first Hollywood gathering for Paramount. She was the sweetest and brightest light, and I loved getting to know her. R.I.P. Dear Sweet Olivia. And describing her as a great iconic actress, Star Trek actor George Takai said, I trust she is now in the great Xanadu beyond. Know that we are forever hopelessly devoted to you, Olivia. Rest in song and mirth. Olivia, you gave us chills, and I hope you had a blast. Rest in peace. But coming up, the crowning moment of the show as I name the first greatest Britain in Union jackass of the week. But first, why are the New York Times obsessed with depicting Britain as a hellhole in terminal decline? National treasure, Jenny Murray is uncancelled and fighting for Blighty next. First, a quick look at what's coming up in tomorrow's show. Coming up on Dan Wooden tonight, as it's revealed, four in ten migrants are arriving from war-free Albania. Will the establishment finally take the abuse of the UK asylum system seriously? Nigel Farage gives his verdict. Plus, Olympian and TV star Caitlyn Jenner delivers dispatch from the war on women's sports. Top US journalist Megyn Kelly weighs in on one of the world's biggest talking points. And I break down the headlines of the day with my superstar panel. Former Daily Star editor Dawn Neeson, conservative commentator Reverend Calvin Robinson, and Sunday Mirror political editor Nigel Nelson. That's Dan Wharton tonight, Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. The New York Times isn't read by many Brits, is it? But the writers there are clearly obsessed with us, and in particular, painting our country incorrectly as a failed state in economic and political freefall. In a thoroughly miserable piece titled The Fantasy of Brexit Britain is Over that rightly infuriated commentators this side of the Atlantic, Richard Seymour, a former member of the far-left Socialist Workers' Party, said of Blighty, economically stagnant, socially fragmented and politically adrift, the country is being cut down to size. 
the rights Brexit fantasy of a revitalized Britain freed from the shackles of Europe and able once again to confidently assert itself at home and abroad is finished. Britain has become merely a hub for multinational corporations uh, denuded of any wider social or civic resonance. The exit of Mr. Johnson, Brexit's most charmed cheerleader, marks the demise of that fantasy. In its place, unmistakable and unstinting comes crisis. What utter rubbish. This hit job in Britain is only the latest in a long line of similar takedowns by woke America's favourite papers. Over recent years, Brexit and Boris Johnson have become prime targets for this Yankee rag with an obvious agenda to do down Great Britain. Well, to fight for this corner of this great country. Fight the corner of this great country. <laughs> Actually, I've drafted in a national treasure, the Daily Mail columnist, former host of Women's Hour, Dame Jenny Murray. Look, Jenny, I'm sorry, I am sick of the New York Times obsession with doing down Britain. I mean, there's a few issues close to home for it's, him, don't you think? Yes, it, it's most bizarre. I'll tell you what I find really surprising about it. Apparently, this Richard Seymour is a Northern Irish well-known Britophobe. Mm. You know, can't mm. stand this. But what's <laughs> bizarre is that Mark Thompson, who is the former Director General of the yeah, BBC, yeah, yeah. is now the former Chief Executive yes. of the New York Times, but he was there for a long time. What what what's he been doing? Why is he behind? Well, we all know this? why though, don't we? Because well, when he was at he the BBC, was a he turned. Well, he was, and he also turned the BBC. I would argue into what I call Jenny the British bashing corporation. You uh, might. Th I no, know you're a former no, no, employee. No, no. You might think no, that's too I, much, I won't but I have don't. that. I won't have that. I mean, Woman's Hour was very British. <laughs> yeah, but not. But and not very a lot of the committed. other uh, Well. I, I, I won't have the BBC apart. I won't you know, have this round with you tonight. I have because... my differences with the BBC yes. on certain yes. things, but on the whole, it's a highly yes. valuable but, organisation. But what I don't understand is the New York Times, they like to claim in the US that they're a paper of record. Well, these are just downright lies that they're now printing. Well, I would say there is a tad of the pot calling the kettle mucky. Mm. I, I, I wasn't going to use the expression that we used to use in Yorkshire. We're not allowed anymore, yeah, is that no, true? rude. Very rude. It is. It would have meant swearing. Um, because, you know, we are in a pickle in this country. We have no apparent government at the moment, not that I can see anyway. We have a horrific cost of living. We have no dentists, apparently. Luckily, I do have one who I've been with for 100 years uh, and still can see. Uh, the NHS is desperately understaffed and, you know, airports and Dover, that's all a bit chaotic, isn't it? And then, of course, there's the immigration problem. How do we deal with those boats coming across? But America has a woeful health system. They're very much fatter than we are, the Americans. Are they? Yeah. Much fatter than we are. Oh, I like to hear that. We don't, we don't fear, you know, we have an obesity problem, but they have a massive okay. obesity problem. We tend not to fear our kids will be gunned down when they're mm. at school because we don't have guns. We've had a bit of a dodgy leader, but we have not had a leader who tried to mm, reverse an election or foster a coup. You know, they really cannot 
knock us on those kind of grounds. I refer, of course, to Donald Trump. Um, we don't deny women the right to abortion. I think that's the thing that has most shocked me recently about America. How could they not have thought, well, Roe versus Wade is not going to go on forever and ever. Mm. Let's have a proper law that enables women to have an abortion. I, I, my jaw just dropped when I read what was happening there. Um, I, I think neither of us are quite the great empires um, we thought ourselves uh, anymore. Um, but then this calling the kettle grimy. So, so what is it about, Jenny? Is it about liberal Americans making themselves feel better by pointing over, over the Atlantic and saying, oh, things are far worse there and painting a false picture? Because, by the way, look, we could have the debate on Brexit another time, but fundamentally, most of the issues that they point to as a Brexit issue are actually happening all around the world. If you look at the supply chain issues, and it's nothing to do with Brexit, it's to do with shutting down the economy for the past two years. Oh, and by the way, that little war in Europe is having something to do with it as well. I, I think they do say that if you're in trouble, which they are and we are, it's your friends that you tend to be rude about. <laughs> yes. You know, you, you don't slag off the Russians, frankly, because that's too scary. The Chinese are far bigger than America. So, so we're an easy target. We're an easy target. We're an easy and target we're supposed for the New York Times. to be allies. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're going to be an ally, OK. I've said horrible things about Americans sometimes and America itself. For a long time, I've said horrible things about them. But I still value the fact that mm. we are allies. Um, we are two nations divided by a common language. You know, they don't speak the language that we speak, although they think they do. Um, but allies should actually be nice to each other, yes. really. Very good point to end on. Our national <laughs> treasure, Dave and Jenny Murray. Thank you so much. Thank you. Daily Mail columnist and, of course, the former host of Women's Hour on the BBC. But it's time now to reveal today's greatest Britain and union jackass. And my superstar panel return now. Carol Malone, who is your greatest Britain nominee? Okay, mine is June Spencer, Queen of the Archers, who at 103 years of age has taken her final bow. Yeah, final bow as Peggy Woolley. It's a role, role she's played for 71 years. She's been in the Archers as long as I've been alive. I woke up every Sunday morning with Peggy Woolley for many, many decades. Anyway, she says she's been trying to retire for a year, but they kept on giving her more episodes. She lives in a care home. She has a studio built in her care home and she's been recording from there, but she's recorded oh, her final episode. She is a great Britain. Great choice. Sam Daly, your nominee. My nominee is Olivia Newton-John. She is obviously a uh, British-born lady and uh, she is a legend. She's a gay icon as well, I have to say. And, um, you know, she's given us so much. And uh, she's a dame. She was allowed to be a dame because she was born over here. And, um, you know, and she, she epitomises the damehood itself. We and will also, claim like, her on this very sad day, yeah. indeed. John Sargent, your nominee. Holly Dance. She's the mother of the poor, sad Archie Battersby. And... 
she did everything a mother could do. And whatever you think about the legal arguments, when it comes yeah. to what would you do if you were her, you'd hope that you'd behave Terrible, as she did. Terrible, tragic situation indeed. Look, all great choices tonight, but of course, uh, Olivia Newton-John, today's greatest Britain, rest in peace. Carol Malone, very quickly, your union jackass, please. The Met Force, this is the force that Cressida Dick said she was proud of, but the Children's Commissioner has revealed today that it's conducted 650 strip searches of children aged between 10 and 17 in the last three years. Many of those were, were conducted without an appropriate adult being present. Shocking behaviour from a shockingly bad police force. Sam Dowler, your nominee. That was shockingly grim. Um, it's Kanye West, um, who, um, in light of Kim and Pete Davidson um, splitting up, he decided to uh, post a thing that he'd mocked up himself, it seemingly, um, talking about uh, Pete Davidson. Yeah, I love Kanye, death. but that isn't cool. And John Sargent, your uni jackass nominee. Liz Truss, two U-turns in a week, as Oscar <laughs> Wilde might have said, one U-turn is unfortunate, Two looks like carelessness. John, one day you're going to come on this show and get through an episode without slagging off Liz Truss. <laughs> no, uh, but I'm actually going to go with off. Sam Dowler for the double win. Kanye West, I love the man, but you can't suggest someone has Double that. win. Obviously you can't. Carol Malone, Sam Dowler, John Sargent, Superstar Panel, good night. Evening, Alex Deegan here with your latest weather update from the Met Office. Pretty warm today, but temperatures are only going to rise through the rest of this week. And if you're after rainfall, well, you're out of luck. It's going to be dry for the vast majority, certainly through this week, thanks to this area of high pressure. Now, it's not completely fine and sunny everywhere. We've uh, had this weather front across northern Scotland today, bringing cloud and outbreaks of rain. And that will continue on and off across the northern highlands, the western isles, and the Northern Isles through the night. Elsewhere, though, most places dry with light winds. We could just see a little bit of mist and fog forming through the early hours across parts of eastern England, but it's not going to last on Tuesday morning. A warmish night, but not that oppressive. Temperatures are going to be rising, though, both by day and by night through the rest of this week. It is going to be another sunny day then for the vast majority on Tuesday. Quite a lot of cloud across northern Scotland still, but not as much in the way of rainfall. The rain tending to ease, except perhaps in Shetland. But even here it may turn dry come the afternoon. Quite a bit of cloud across the northwest and the breeze picking up here then. But elsewhere, lots of sunshine. Temperatures mid to high 20s, probably topping out at 30 Celsius tomorrow somewhere across the southeast. On Tuesday evening, again, it's fine, it's dry and it's sunny. Perhaps a bit more of a breeze picking up across Kent and certainly getting quite windy across the far northwest where it will stay predominantly cloudy. Maybe one or two light showers as we head into Wednesday. But again, for most places, Wednesday is another sunny day. If anything, sunnier across the highlands and certainly through Orkney where we could see temperatures up to 19 or 20. And elsewhere, we'll be in the mid-20s widely. High 20s across the south, probably peaking in the low 30s, somewhere close to London. Again, some coasts will be cooler where there'll be some pleasant sea breezes developing. The outlook is for more of the same. Hints of a change into next week, but for the vast majority of the sunshine continuing into the weekend and temperatures rising further. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday 
from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.